You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Dave. How are you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. So uh, something a little different today for us. I'm going to talk a little bit about a book we've been reading together as a, as a group, kind of as a group of you, me, Amy, and Jeff in the firm called Changing for Good. Yeah. A couple of PhDs, uh, James Prochaska, uh, Norcross, and DiClemente. And uh, it's about changing habits and uh, making those changes stick. I'm excited about this one. It uh, was a good read. We read it as a group, as a part of our book club, which as you know, Dave, I'm a big fan of book club. I love (laughs) reading these types of books and self-help, self-improvement, and just kind of learn a little bit from every book that we read. And I also am very appreciative that you took the onus of pronouncing the last names because I wouldn't (laughs) get anywhere close to those. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping I got them right. And if, uh, if any of you are out there listening and I got, your name's wrong. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so this particular book, uh, came to my attention first from, uh, one of my professors, uh, Dr. Megan Lertz from, uh, Kansas State University wrote an article on it and recommended it and discussed it in one of our, um, one of our financial planning classes as a way to help clients make healthy changes in their habits. So it uh, seemed pretty relevant to us as a group. And, and you and I, you and I, Dave, have talked about, and this is an industry-wide thing as well, just about our frustrations at time of about working with clients and presenting a plan and giving them the homework to go do and the changes to make and them coming back in six months <laughs> or a year and nothing's done, right? Right, right. <laughs> and right. so and we've... Sure- I was just gonna say we've done it in our own lives about I'm sure you know Mm -hmm. there's people complaining about me and not being able to change so it's not necessarily a a group of bad clients it's a human thing as a whole right just this ability and this idea behind the ability to change well as we you know as we were talking about this last week here we are early February a month out from uh, January 1st and everybody's New Year's resolutions, right? And how many of the, how many people have given up on their New Year's resolutions already? It's got to be in the high 90% range for for most people, if you're human. I mean, the, the New Year's resolutions that stick are um, the, the less than 1% variety. So right. <laughs> not surprising right. that right. most of them would be gone by the wayside here in February. So it seemed like a good time to good time to talk about this. And and uh, at the end, we should circle back to how New Year's resolutions fit with this, because I think it's a little more apparent why they why why we struggle with them. But uh, so the authors lay out, you know, it's a very academic book, but a good read, but they break they break change into six basic steps, right? And anytime we break things into steps, it sounds very PhD like, right? Sure. Absolutely. So, so, so there's, there's pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and termination. Those are all parts of change. Right. And what I found really interesting, we'll go, we'll talk a little bit about those parts here in a minute, but what I found most interesting as we worked through it was how 
you can kind of, as you're reading their examples, you kind of see yourself a, a lot, or at least I did, where it was like, oh, yeah, that's why I've, you know, started the same diet four times, or, you know, I've perpetually been a beginning runner for, you know, going on 15 years at this point. It's just fascinating that, you know, a, a lot of the things, a lot of the knowledge is there for a lot of common problems like, Hey, mm -hmm. you should uh, eat a healthy, balanced diet and you should work out on a regular basis. And there's tons of science and you're very rare right. to find people that don't believe any of it. Yet there's a massive number of people that don't follow that don't the, act. the sage if I, it, it don't act. And it, it was interesting to me as well, reading through this and the number of different things that I've tried to change and implement and just being at different stages with different things throughout right. these different six stages. And, and really the other interesting thing is, you know, you kind of move back and forth through the stages as well. And, and right. that was pretty interesting. I thought. Right. Well, and, and one of the things the authors really drive home is if you're not mentally prepared to move to the next step, you're not going to be changing habits for the long run. Absolutely. You know? And you also yeah. can't skip steps, right? You can't just, right. and that's probably why New Year's resolutions don't work because people are like, you know that's, what? Darn it, I'm just going to eat healthy. And then yep. the, starting, the, starting two, tomorrow. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> yeah. No contemplation, so, no preparation, straight to action, straight to failure. That first step that they define is pre-contemplation. And, you know, an easier way to think about pre-contemplation is denial, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. You the know, first it, stage it, is denial, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, like, kind of like when my wife points out that maybe my, my jeans aren't fitting as well as they were before. And I say, oh, you must have shrunk them in the wash. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> so, so um, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that not even ready to contemplate change you know, pre-contemplation phase. And until somebody recognizes the issues, obviously there's no way you can even begin to change your habits. Yeah. And it's not so much that you don't know that it's going on. It's always somebody, it's kind of one of those, it's always, always somebody else's fault, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're able mm -hmm. to push off the blame instead of taking it internally. Yeah. Or, you know, I think, a you know, a couple of folks I've talked to over the years that have come in with like unopened credit card statements or unopened unopen student loan statements. Those are right. the more common ones. Yeah. I don't even want to think about this. I'm not even right. ready to open the envelope and confront the, the issue. Yeah. Or haven't paid taxes in, you know, 10 mm -hmm. years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the next phase is contemplation. And that's where, you know, maybe you're scratching your chin going, eh, you know, maybe it is time to make my blue jeans fit a little bit better or open those credit card statements. Yeah, so absolutely. I, you know. In a way, that's almost the the first step, really, in a way, you know, with pre-contemplation, not even being ready to take a step. So at the contemplation phase, you're at least considering the issues and weighing them, the pros and the cons of uh, instituting change. Because I think that's important, too, is, you know, mentally, one of the things the authors point out is we're always keeping this account, right? There's There's pros to staying the same in some ways. I like to eat food. I like to eat food that's not healthy. I like the way it tastes. I enjoy a good meal, right? Mm, right. And and I enjoy sitting around a table with friends and you know having that good meal and and enjoying it, right? So so that's a pro to the bad behavior. On the con side, or maybe I'm stating this backwards, but on, on the other side of the equation, I know that you know if I keep eating the cheese course too many times, eventually that's going to catch up with me, right? Right. 
So you've got to get to a mental accounting point where the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think in the financial world where we see this kind of this move from pre-contemplation to contemplation is some sort of event, right? So you start getting, you know, if you haven't done your taxes in 10 years and you start getting letters from the IRS, <laughs> maybe you, you can only be in denial so long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they found you or, you know, more commonly, if you're, you know, you're getting ready to retire, you get a letter from social security, you have to start making these yeah. decisions. You can't push it off anymore. You know, with folks that have put off retirement planning, a lot of times that trigger is a health issue. Or, right. or an issue in the economy or at work, like, oh my gosh, my, my decision to just keep working until I can't work anymore, you know, that day might be coming. Right. So yeah, it's usually some trigger that causes a change in that mental accounting. That's usually, I would say, when a lot of people seek us out, right? That's kind of that mm-hmm. stage of we've gone from pre-contemplation, just doing what we've always done to, hey, we've got this thing that happened or with this thing that we want to happen. And so now it's time to kind of seek out some advice. And that's kind of where we get into this mix. And a lot of times, you know, we can be working with clients and it's pretty obvious to us what they need to do they're still not ready to take action yet. They're in that contemplation stage still. And the next stage after that is preparation. And I feel like this is the one that gets missed or doesn't get done properly. And that I feel like is what leads a lot of people to having some issues down the road of not being able to Mm -hmm. follow through on the change because Mm -hmm. this preparation stage is such a big thing. And, And we live in this society of, I want it now. I need to do it now. And that doesn't work with change. You can't just go from, Hey, I've got a problem. I'm going to stop eating everything bad and get everything bad out of my house and expect that action to immediately work without taking the preparation steps for what's going to happen. And and ultimately, and, and a lot of, in the book was, you know, a lot of people end up going from action back to preparation because they have a misstep and preparing for the eventual fact that you're probably not going to do it fully on the first try. It's going to take multiple tries and building that into preparation as well. So one of the things about preparation and financial planning is I kind of see that's where we fit in a lot of times is people are coming to us as they move from contemplating retirement or getting their finances in order and then the planning portion is kind of that preparation. Right. No, cha- no change has actually occurred, but we're going through the process of getting finances organized, you know, so you know what you have. We're going through the process of setting goals and figuring out risk tolerance and being able to come back and say, okay, if you save a certain amount for these goals, if you invest a certain way, if you behave a certain way, we should be able to uh, get where you want to go. And then that action step is, is the next phase you know, back to the diet analogy is kind of like cleaning out the refrigerator and getting, you know, all the cookies out of the cupboard before you're ready to start, you know, and uh, back to what we were talking about, New Year's resolutions, you know, and and just trying to decide, hey, on January 1st, I'm not doing this anymore. If you've not gotten all of the Christmas goodies out of the house, that's going to be a pretty tough thing to do. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that's commonly skipped, in the new year's resolution of things. And and I want to make a point too, Dave, about 
our process in working with clients and how we talk about how, you know, we're really taking on that role of the preparation into the action stage. And if you think about the business model that we have as fee-only financial planners, um, it's not necessarily versus some of the other models out there. What we're trying to do is help you create a financial plan and help you prepare and take that action. We're not trying to take that time and sell you something. And so I think that's a big difference that makes sense. And and if you're curious about the different models, we have a podcast on that. But really, truly, if you think about the old way of doing things and the sales end of things, you don't get to preparation really because we're we're forcing you into action by selling you something and then maybe going and doing the planning as a part of that where our process is designed to be, let's do the preparation, let's do the planning, let's do the hard work, and then we'll get to the implementation or the action phase. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way. But, uh, but you're right. And that could, you know, lead to regrets down the road if uh, that preparation step is skipped. So, yeah, good point. for sure. You know, the, these first three steps, they're really, you really haven't had to do anything right yet at this point for change. It's when you move into the action phase that actual activities begin. So the, and this is the one that, you know, it's interesting in reading through the book and the examples that, you know, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people go into the action phase and and most people end up relapsing, if you will, or, you know, nobody mm-hmm. is typically perfect in this action stage and figuring out what happens when that happens. Do we go back to contemplation? Do we go back to preparation? But also this phase can, t- you know, it can be a pretty short phase moving into maintenance, or it could be a long one. It just kind of depends on you and, and what you have behind you and, and, and what kind of change you're overcoming. And so, you know, the, the interesting thing for me as it relates to preparation, moving into action is just this thought of, you know, emotion and energy, emotion as in energy in motion. And so a lot of what gets people to move from preparation to action to be successful in action is how much energy they have behind that. And a lot of that is carried by the emotion of what they're trying to do and tapping into that emotion. And the brand of financial planning that we do lends itself very well to that because we are talking about that vision. We're talking about what's important to you in your life. And those are the reasons why Mm -hmm. you're going to want to make those changes, not just because Dave and Nick said you should. Dave and Nick saying you should is is the reason for the change. It's it's not going to not going to stick. No. I'd just like ask, to think I have that kind of authority. Yeah. I was just going to say, if you don't believe me, ask my kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Dad said so. Doesn't, doesn't work. Good. So, doesn't yeah, so, you know, uh, the book talks about different strategies during the action phase of creating diversions for yourself and, uh, you know, avoiding situations where you would be tempted to relapse into the, uh, the habits that, that you're trying to break. And, you know, the financial planning may be a little different than trying to stop smoking or lose weight, but, you know, it's still a lot of what we do with finance still hits on those same parts of the brain that addictive behaviors do. You know, some for some folks, spending is a uh, emotional issue as much as uh, 
financial. And you could even say the same for the other side of the coin, which is spending is sometimes emotional for people as well. And it sounds strange, Mm -hmm. but if you're so concerned about saving money that you don't ever give yourself the ability to spend it, that can be a problem as well. It's not as well diagnosed or necessarily talked about, but it's certainly you and I have both come across people that could certainly yeah. benefit by spending a little bit more of the money they have um, to do the things mm-hmm. that they enjoy now and to make life easier. Yeah, I was I was talking to somebody else in the profession a couple of weeks ago about this topic, and you know, in a way, it's it's self-selecting, right? The folks mm-hmm. that come to see us are more likely to have the problems of not spending enough, right? You know, and I think I think it's because those are the people that tend to seek out financial planning help rather than the folks on the other extreme if they if, it's a little hard to explain but it's like if you they've not moved it from that if we use the structure we're talking about it's like they haven't moved from that pre-contemplation phase you know and it tends to be it tends to be the folks that have trouble spending money and are good savers that come to us rather than the other way around and there's probably a, a multitude of, of reasons for that obviously if we knew um, we would be <laughs> we we would be sharing them, and I, I think if people knew, they would, it would be easier to overcome. But um, certainly, we see it on both ends, right? The people that spend right. too much and the people that save too much, um, and, and really figuring out. And that's why you know I keep going back to our process, but that's why it's so important for us to figure out what's important to people because it, making financial decisions is more about how do we get you. F- closer to your goal and less about what the right number or the, what the right financial right. answer is. It's more about what's right. right for you as a person and what's important to you. Yeah, a couple of times in my career, I've had people come in and say what they really want to know is, is how their spending compares to their peers or, you know, something along those lines. Like there's some rule of some rule benchmark that a 40 year old should be, you know, making X and spending Y and saving Z to be on track, if you will. And that was, that was really hard for me. They didn't, that particular, the one I'm thinking of didn't last long as a client because we just didn't, we just didn't fit together very well. But you know, that to me, it's, it's so personal, so subjective and relative that, that you can't really benchmark it. Well, and, and you know, in some of the bigger media publications around finances, you'll constantly see the, you know, if you're this old, you should have this much saved for retirement. And yeah. I've, you know, I've, I go into those things quite frequently because I'm curious how I stand <laughs> up against the benchmark. And then I'm going, how, why are you doing this? You know better than this. So it's all yeah. relative. <laughs> Back in the day, I had the, the Wall Street Journal, I, I want to say it was between between the tech crash and the financial crisis, so probably sometime around 2003, 2004, the Wall Street Journal ran an article, and they've run several similar since. That was something like how to retire, how to retire with less than a million dollars in savings. And at the time, I was working pretty much exclusively in northern Michigan in a rural area. And I remember one of my older clients; she had been retired a long time. She was widowed, not not a real large portfolio at that point. And I remember her clipping it out of the newspaper and bringing it into me and saying, I don't have anywhere near that. And I've been <laughs> retired for 15 years. Am I in trouble? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, you know, 
uh, we had a long discussion about the Wall Street Journal's uh, target market for that article and the right. fact that it's you know published in Manhattan for Manhattanites and right. a little different than uh, Indian River, Michigan, you know. Absolutely. So, well, the you know the the classic you have to have a million dollars to retire benchmark, right? Mm-hmm. Completely relative to you know all kinds of different factors, and really not right. helpful at all when you think about it. That particular client had her husband's pension benefit and her social security, and barely spent that. Right. So it was really irrelevant what she had in her portfolio. So anyway, yeah, I were kind of off topic, but. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah. So maintenance, this is yeah. kind of that phase where you get through the action and you're kind of on cruise control. And, and I think the, you know, usually they say after six weeks, your your action turns into a habit and you kind of get into mm-hmm. this, this maintenance phase. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, and this really relates to maintenance and termination and termination being you've gone through maintenance long enough that you don't, you no longer have the problem. No longer an issue. Right. But as we were talking, one of the interesting conversations that we had was around this idea of, you know, when you make changes and you're so regimented in that change, in that action, that you're really giving up a lot of life satisfaction and <laughs> and that you, you know, and you're yeah. so strict and you're worried that if you don't do it, you know, let's say we're dieting, for example, and you can only 1800 calories a day. And so you're doing that every single day and mm-hmm. you never allow yourself a day off. I think that, and we had talked about how that at some point, if you do fall off, you typically fall off very hard. And it's always kind of this concern of continually having to go forward and giving up a lot of satisfaction. And so it's interesting as, as that relates to financial planning as well as making sure that we're balanced, right? Not only can we make the changes and, and live those changes now, but also in five and 10 or 15 years. So the example being, we don't want to go out and spend a bunch of money now but not be and do things that we want to do now because we might not be able to do them in the future. But we also don't want to do nothing now because there's no guarantee that five years down the road is going to happen. Right. You're never going to be uh, younger or healthier than you are today. Right. And so right. when we're talking about doing things, uh, that's always a factor. When it comes to financial items and the maintenance idea, you know, what we've seen is things can become a habit financially pretty quickly, particularly savings. If you can set up like automatic contributions to things, you automatically don't, after a couple of months, you don't think about the fact that, hey, another $200 is going into my 401k or, you know, those things, your mental accounting is actually quite a good maintenance mechanism. Um, just the way we're programmed as people that you won't, if it's not in your paycheck anymore, or if it's being deducted from your bank account right away, automatically every month, you're, you're probably going to adapt pretty quickly. And the other thing I'd say about that is, you know, sticking to the spending and savings side of financial planning, you know, when, when somebody comes in pre-retirement and it's going to be tight, right? What do we do? Well, we look at reducing their spending at the time, at the present, so they can save more towards retirement. But in a way, because that's, if, if they're successful, that becomes that habit, right? We're spending right. less, we cut out the, you know, mocha latte and the, you know, whatever extra spending issues there were for a little while. By the time you get to retirement, you've gotten used to 
you know, that lower budget and automatically, you know, your savings goes a lot further than it would have otherwise, because you've kind of tackled the problem from both ends. Right. Well, that you've reduced your spending and you've saved more. And it's not like people get to retirement five or 10 years later and like, oh, now I can go back to, you know, all the crazy stuff I used to do. To speak to that, part of our process is really around this idea of let's figure out what all your goals are, but then let's prioritize them. What's most important Mm -hmm. to you or as we like to call it a a heart's core? What's at your heart's core that you have to do to live a fulfilled life? Let's make sure that we can do those things. But maybe some of this other stuff that might be fun to like having a beach house in Malibu or something along those lines, maybe that's not as important right now, as long as we're able to do what's at the heart's core. And and oddly enough, most of the time when we're talking heart's core with clients, we are not talking about financial things. Yes, they have some financial (laughs) ramifications, but most of the time they are not necessarily financial. They're usually related to family or, um, you know, what you do with your time and your work and your passions and a lot less about having that beach house on Malibu. Yeah. Or, or what's really driving the, the, the thoughts around money and a particular goal like that. A lot of times what's really driving it is that family relationship stuff, if you will, Mm -hmm. that maybe, maybe there's ways to get the same thing without the same expense. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, we, we tend to, when we're talking about habit change, we, we focus on spending and savings here as financial planners, but uh, you know, we've emphasized this in a lot of other podcasts and anybody that knows us knows we're all about balance when it comes to this stuff. You know, it's it's probably the, the, the lasting thing that I tell um, clients, all clients is it's, it's about balance. If it wasn't about balance, our advice would be, you know, go live in the cheapest house and have the most money saved and invested that you can. Right. Or as I like to say, you live in a cardboard box with a multi-million dollar investment account. Nobody wants that, but financially that's the best thing you can do. So where is that balance point? What do you want? What is important to you? How do we make sure that we can deliver on that now and in five and 10 years from now? That's what really drives people and helps people change and make those changes necessary to maybe get rid of some of those expenses or save more, invest wiser or safer um, to be able to make sure that they can do those things throughout their lives. So coming back to the book for a minute, you know, the main thing that struck me about it is even though it is an academic book, it's very much written for those of us who aren't, you know, psychology majors. And so I would say, you know, anybody out there thinking about changing anything from diet to quitting smoking to changing your spending habits to getting more exercise, I, I would recommend this book to just about anybody who's who's interested. And, and most of us are <laughs> as we move from pre-contemplation to contemplation on, on different items of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if you're not contemplating a big change, I would recommend it. You know, I don't didn't have any necessarily big changes, but it's super insightful and helpful mm-hmm. for the things that I, you know, maybe some of the smaller things that I want to change or that I'm in the process of changing and haven't been successful right. with. It's been very helpful. Right. Or, or in the future when, when, when you, right. when you do need it, you've got the tools. So we'll, uh, we'll put a link in the article that goes with this podcast, uh, to the uh, information for the book itself, if you're interested. And uh, I think that'll be a 
good place to end it for today. That'll be it. Happy changing. And if you need help looking at your financial picture and making changes, be sure to reach out. We would love to uh, discuss how we might be able to use our process to help you. Great. Thanks, Nick. You bet. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.